Happy New Year and welcome back to Prognosis Ohio. It's another year, but I'm still your host, Dan Skinner. On this episode, our 98th, I'll be talking with Malik Perkins, Public Relations Manager at the Mid-Ohio Food Collective, an essential organization here in Central Ohio that addresses food insecurity in our community. As we look at health disparities around our state, it's impossible to notice the myriad ways in which they're closely linked to economic disparities, which is why we must view health as a function of more protracted struggles, such as the struggle for a living wage, policies to address housing insecurity, and systemic racism. It's a disgrace in my view that in one of the world's richest nations, millions of Americans struggle to put food on the table. And to address access to food in general is not even to address the question of access to healthful quality food. Here in Ohio, food insecurity is a huge problem. And as our guest explains, it's been growing steadily throughout the pandemic. On this show, we try to connect the dots between different kinds of social challenges. Our aim today is to help you to understand why food insecurity is a critical issue for the health of our state. It's also my goal to help you appreciate the fantastic and vital work that the Mid-Ohio Food Collective does to address it. The other day, I sent out an email to the more than 100 guests we've had on Prognosis Ohio since we launched this fledgling community-focused health podcast a few years ago. I thanked them for being on the show, and I asked them for their support, including just telling people about the show as we continue to grow. I'd like to ask you to do the same, and if you can, please consider supporting the show for just $3 a month by becoming a Patreon. The goal as we head towards our 100th episode remains the same, namely to bring you conversations like the one you're about to hear, spotlighting issues you care about, and introducing you to inspiring people in Ohio, like Malik and like the good people at the Mid-Ohio Food Collective. And as always, we welcome your suggestions for show themes and guests, since that's what makes this thing work. Okay, now to my conversation with Malik Perkins of the Mid-Ohio Food Collective. Hey Malik, thanks so much for taking some time to be on the show. No, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I, I want to start by having you tell our listeners a little bit about the scale and the scope of what the Mid-Ohio Food Collective does. Sure. Well, you know, Middle Ohio Food Collective, we serve 20 counties in our footprint. And right now we are distributing enough food for 170,000 meals um, every single day. Mm. Uh, and we, you know, our, our work is interesting because at the beginning of 2020, we rebranded and went from Middle Ohio Food Bank to Middle Ohio Food Collective. And we, we changed the collective because we thought that better explained the scale of our work. So we're made up of five assets. And uh, so Middle Ohio Food Bank is, you know, the warehouse and your day to day distribution of food where we store the food and then get it out to our almost 700 partner agencies, um, mm-hmm. 20 county footprint. Um, our, and then we have our Middle Ohio Farm, which is a smart farm that we have in the Hilltop neighborhood in Columbus. And that is also an edu farm where we use advanced techniques like vertical growing and just being able to grow large amounts of food in the urban environment using those special techniques. Um, we also have our Middle Ohio Markets. Now, this is kind of like re-envisioning what you think of when you think of a food pantry. Yeah. They're set up like grocery stores. This gives people the chance to have that shopping experience, go in there, have the choice of items that they want, as well as offering wraparound services so that we can provide those tools people need to continue to progress and kind of lift themselves up. We also have our Middle Ohio Pharmacy Program, which is 
our program that we're really excited about, it's for people who have food-related illnesses or conditions like such as diabetes or obesity. And what they can do is they can go to their doctor and get a food prescription and then go to one of our partner agencies and get that prescription filled with fresh fruits and vegetables. And we've seen better health outcomes because of this program. And then uh, lastly, we have our Mid-Ohio Kitchens. And that is a program that provides prepared meals to, especially to school sites and after-school sites and children during the summer. And one of the reasons why we have this program is because we know how important it is to not only provide groceries, but remembering that our customers are just like us, right? And just like we don't always have time to cook, they might not always have time to cook. So building a program where people can get prepared meals, we also feel is very important. And just so listeners know, I noted that the uh, the pharmacy is is pharmacy with an F. Yes. So I never like to let a good pun go unmissed because that's important. Yes. You know, before we dive a little bit deeper into the work you do with the collective, I, I want to take a little bit of an aside, if it's okay, uh, and, and just talk to you for a minute about you. I mean, so uh, how did you first get involved in this kind of work, and what was the learning process to kind of understand the ins and outs of the kind of folks you work with, and and how how hard this kind of work might be? Sure. So I kind of got interested in this work when I was still a news reporter in Dayton. Um, I, I kind of did a number of stories on kind of food insecurity. Um, the term we were using back then was food deserts, but um, kind of doing a, a number of those stories, speaking with the food bank um, there where I was locally in Dayton, as well as speaking with other organizations who addressed it. And I just became really interested in the topic. And then uh, once I saw Middle Ohio Food Collective, and I saw there was an opportunity to use some of those skills that I had acquired in order to kind of fight against the food insecurity problem. That's when I really felt inspired to come up here and and just really get involved in the work. What have you learned about the role of food in in health more broadly? On this podcast, we talk about health in a very expansive Mm way. Anything that you didn't know before you started this work or maybe some misconceptions along the way that you've you've encountered about how people think about things like like a food bank or a food pantry or food insecurity mm-hmm. itself? Well, food, food is, you know, access to food has a direct impact on um, everyone's health. One of the big misconceptions is when you think about things like obesity and diabetes, people don't understand that people who are food insecure are more likely to have those conditions because they might not have the ability to purchase or access those healthy foods. And so when you have communities that aren't able to access that food, we do see more health issues. And, you know, on top of that, just access to food just brings a number of problems, even with, you know, we have customers who come in and we've heard their stories about how, um, They have to choose between getting gas today and going to work or getting food or paying a bill or or going to the grocery store. And even there's a story um, that came through that our president and CEO, Matt Habash, tells often is that there was a young lady um, at the food bank one time and she was not getting food. And she mentioned that it was not her day to eat because their family to make food stretch, they were taking turns eating. So just think about the the long term physical health uh, impact and mental health impact of having to take turns within your own family and your own home on who's going to eat just so you can make food stretch. And we just know that that has such an impact and all the things you do, whether it's going to work, going to school and just, you know, because our, our customers, the misconception is that you have people who don't want to better themselves, but that's that's false. People do. Right. And, and our data shows that people only come when they really, really need it. In fact, Part of our messaging is trying to encourage people to come when they need it. 
you know, we, we really work hard to work against stigma and just letting people know that, you know, Middle Ohio Food Collective, you know, we have the food. We want people to go come to us and our partner agencies to get it. Yeah, I want to get the stigma in a minute with a little bit more uh, depth. But, you know, it, it strikes me. I mean, there's a lot of advice out there. You know, again, I teach medical students and we try to work with them in terms of how they will talk to their patients in the future. You know, there's there's no uh, deficit of advice, right? You need to eat more healthfully. You know, uh, you need to do this or that or that. But we also know that there are these entrenched and systemic causes at work, right? And so I, I wanted to, to know, I mean, aside from the work you do on a daily basis with this incredible volume of food that you're providing to folks around around the state, um, are you also working kind of uh, in addition on trying to alleviate some of the causes of food insecurity? At the end of the day, we could provide food to folks in the way you do, but we're going to need to address the systemic issues to change the kind of the underlying condition. So I wonder what something like the Mid-Ohio Food Collective can do to also move the needle on that a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, we, we work closely with um, elected officials, both with providing information on uh, kind of the, the food insecurity problem, as well as, you know, advocating with the public as well to make sure that people are engaged and aware of what some of these systemic issues are. I mean, from housing to even the history of racism in America and how that has set certain people in our community back and has made it harder for them to access food over various generations. Um, And even advocating for a livable wage. Mm -hmm. I mean, so that um, people are able to afford living and and be able to buy those essential things they need. And also with um, SNAP benefits, advocating that people are able to receive SNAP benefits so they can get the food that they need. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a number of things that we do as far as really educating the public so that people really understand what's going on, why this is such a widespread problem and why it's been going on so long, but then also telling people what they can do. You know, you, yeah. you can get involved in this work. When I did interviews as a researcher in, in various parts of the Columbus area, and you know, you do this kind of like self-rated health work and, and try to get people to talk about what their list of priorities is, you know, and I, I teach health policy, so you, you want to know about things like healthcare access, and of course, healthcare access is important. Mm-hmm. But when you ask people, well, what's your list look like? Staying in a home is the first thing for just about everybody, right? Mm-hmm. And then after that, can you keep heat on? Or air conditioning in the summer, like that's going to be, and food is right up there. And food is before health access, typically. So sometimes people who make assumptions, like like health policy researchers, make make assumptions that healthcare access is this super important thing, but actually, it might not be number one for folks. You really have to talk to them and find out, as you said, kind of what are you doing on a day to day basis? Sort of like that ex- the story you just mentioned of, you know, my day to eat. Right. Mm-hmm. These are stories that need to be amplified because they change your whole perspective on where we should be putting our emphasis. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's the other thing that we really try to help people understand is that this is something food insecurity is a situation that anyone can find themselves in. Um, there's some research out there that shows that I believe it's about 40 percent or so of Americans can't afford to pay an emergency four hundred dollar bill. Right. You know, if you have an emergency expense of four hundred dollars, they can't afford to pay it. And when you look at this past almost two years now with the pandemic, um, there's been so many people who found themselves food insecure for the very first time. Uh, Our data is showing us that from March 2020 up to right now, 35% of the people we're serving are coming to us for the first time. They have not been in our system for the past decade. 
Yeah. Uh, so when when we look at that, that shows that proves that people only come when they really, really need to. Um, and, and we have the, the data and the stories to show that. Um, so just by we believe by sharing that information and just continuing to educate the public, we believe all of that kind of works towards our work of ending hunger. So when these new folks show up, mm-hmm. uh, I'm guessing some of them never thought they'd be in that situation then, right? They, mm-hmm. they may have never given thought to being food insecure and, and, and there they are. W- what does that look like on your side? So the conversations you have to, you know, because there's stigma from outside about people who might need assistance in various ways. And that's a part of the American story. But also they may have stigma within themselves or just sort of things they need to overcome to be okay asking for help. So how do you work with those folks to make sure that they don't, um, you know, subscribe to any, any, any of that thinking that could get in the way of just doing this very basic thing of accessing the food they need? Our, our big thing here is, is telling people that, hey, we're here with you and we're here for you. You know, we were here before the pandemic. We're going to be here during the pandemic. And we're going to be here the years that follow as people are working to get back on their feet. You know, there's just, especially with that 35% the new families number, um, it's, it's just really important for people to understand that there's no shame. Um, one of our big things is, you know, we're going to stop judging people. We're not going to judge anyone. We're not going to um, look down on anybody. I mean, even uh, some of the things that have been happening, especially with the pandemic, is, you know, you might see someone come through our line and they have a newer car. Mm. And natural human instinct might be able to say, well, how are they having that fancy car? And they're here. Maybe if they didn't buy that car, they wouldn't. But there have been stories that have come out when we got to know our customers that, Maybe they just bought that car before they lost their job or before the pandemic. In one case, someone had a nice car and it came to found out that that individual was living in their car. Right. Um, so just um, there's just so much that goes on. It's, I mean, it sounds cliche, but it's just about not judging a book by its cover. You know, we, we try to create the most welcoming environment that we possibly can. Um, we were really big on having a customer centric model, meeting people where they are. Um, treating people the way that we would want our family treated, and then just trying to make things as convenient as possible. I mean, we have a pantry on site at the food bank, but also with our, you know, our network in our 20 counties, letting people know, hey, if Grove City is too far away, you know, give us a call or reach out to us and we can find a pantry that might be five minutes away from you. Yeah. Um, so just making sure that people have the options to, to get what they need and when they need it. You know, I'm really sensitive to the issue just, you just raised, which is assumptions we make about who is um, utilizing certain kinds of social resources. And, you know, we see this with Medicaid, for example. I spend time with my students trying to help them to understand what the Medicaid population looks like. It looks very different than the the assumptions and the stigma often uh, would lead them to believe. And, and the opioid crisis was obviously another example where we've been through this lately of looking at actually who is suffering? Are they like, this is just everybody, right? Everybody was vulnerable to this. So do you get a sense that you're making progress with stigma around this when you talk to legislators or when you talk to other partners in the community, that there's movement in terms of not making assumptions about who are the folks that find themselves in this kind of a situation? Sure. So there, there is progress, but at the same time, it's, it's ongoing work, right? As, as the problem evolves and as um, you know, new challenges arise. It's just about that continued education, continue us continuing to t- 
tell those stories of our customers, those real stories about real people, and also showing the data, showing this is how many people came um, to us who are new customers, and also showing that, hey, like certain people only might come a certain amount of times because they came when they needed it. Mm-hmm. And then once they got the help they needed and they fortunately got back on their feet, they stopped. Um, I can quickly actually tell you a story about someone who was a volunteer at one of our middle house markets. Um, his name is Jason and he was volunteering there. Pandemic hit, found himself in need of the place of food from the place he was volunteering. Um, and, and he talked about how, you know, okay, I never thought I would be in this situation before. Now I'm in need of food, even though I was volunteering here. And then uh, later on, he ended up being hired as the operations manager at yeah. that middle health market. It's a great story, but it just goes to show that, you know, he's somebody who did not need help, found himself in a position where he needed help, got the help, and then um, was fortunately able to get back on his feet. So that's it's really what it's about. It's just we're trying to lift people up. And as long as we continue to educate people about, tell those stories of people who have been lifted up, um, we think that's important. So before we sign off for the day, I, one question I wanted to touch upon, and you've, you've already raised it in your kind of overview. I want to hear more about the, the Mid-Ohio Farm in, in the Hilltop. And you know, when I was in New York City in the early 2000s, we started to see urban farms appearing. And I went to visit some of them. There were these really cool places. Oftentimes, they were kind of wedged in between two, two uh, walk-up apartment buildings. And you know, people were getting creative about trying to find ways to have good quality produce and you know all sorts of cool. I mean collective stuff, frankly, right? Like interesting uh, associations that people were able to form. Tell us a little bit about this particular piece and how does that fit into actually getting past food insecurity? I mean, is there a kind of a more enduring piece to this farm approach and, and what happens there? Sure. Well, it's, I'm going to have a farm in the hilltop. It's, so it's in an area where we know there is a, a need for food. Um, access to food has, has been a challenge in that area. So that's part of it. So we're growing the food, you know, using these advanced techniques in this in this neighborhood. But it's also about community engagement. So mm-hmm. there will be opportunities for job training for adults, uh, learning opportunities for for teenagers and children. We're engaging local universities, Ohio State University, Central State University. Um, so it's really about bringing all of these things in here to engage the community while also on top of that, finding and using these new techniques to grow um, larger amounts of food than you would be able to do with maybe some previous techniques in farming. So the vertical growing and um, even finding ways to grow food in the winter months and things of that nature and just continuing all of these things so that we can make it easier for people to who live there to get that food. That's really, and then that's really um, what it's about. It's just showing like, hey, this is what's possible. This is, you can have a farm here. You can have it even if it's a smaller space. You can grow more food on this space because of the way that it's being grown. Again, increasing that education and also having something that the community community can engage in and be a part of. That's really um, what it's all about. On the one hand, there's like this very pragmatic thing that needs to happen, which is we need to get food to people. Mm-hmm. But also in doing that, one of the things that impresses me about the Mid-Ohio Food Collective is you're also creating modes of engagement for people to 
move their own thinking or to come together so that you're you're different on the on the 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 other side of that i mean my students will come and volunteer sometimes at your food banks and they are changed by the experience you know so that's that's um that's enduring and, and really impressive Yes, and, and it is. And I, I can honestly say that I've been changed by the experience working there and having the opportunity to speak with our volunteers and speak with our customers and, and seeing the scale of the need and seeing all the food that goes out. Um, it's, it, it really is. And we, and we encourage people, um, you know, please come and volunteer with us. You can go to our website, mofc.org and click on get involved. And from there, you can sign up and it's, it's easy to do. And, you know, we encourage you to you know, join us and get involved in this work. Yeah, we're going to be, as I mentioned, you know, providing a bunch of links, ways to contribute, to volunteer, just to learn uh, on our show notes and in, in the social media that we're going to be doing. But Malik, I just want to thank you, you know, for taking the time to talk. Thanks, not just to you, but to all the people at Mid-Ohio Food Collective who keep you afloat every day and doing this really, really hard and important work. Uh, we really appreciate it. Oh, well, thank you. We, we appreciate you for having us. And, you know, thanks for giving us a platform where we can continue to talk about the, the work that we're doing and how people can get help. My many thanks to Malik Perkins for joining me on the show. You can read more about the Mid-Ohio Food Collective in our show notes at prognosisohio.com and wcbe.org under the podcast experience tab. Also, as we do with all of the nonprofits we feature on this show, we encourage you to consider donating to support their work. This episode of Prognosis Ohio was hosted and produced by me, Dan Skinner. The music was produced by Kyle Rosenberger, who I assume is still a friend of the show, but I haven't heard from him in a while. To learn more about Prognosis Ohio and check out the show's evolving social media presence, please visit the show's website at prognosisohio.com. Prognosis Ohio is a member of the WCBE Podcast Experience and the Health Podcast Network. We'll be back in your feed soon, so make sure you're subscribed. Thanks for listening and be well.